Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Welcome to another episode of the Creators Outlet, sponsored by our friends over at the Inc. Marketing Team. If you need a little extra help with your Kickstarter or Indiegogo, contact Kevin Gillette over at Inc. Marketing. Just go to www.inc.marketing today. We want us to remind you that Heel Turn Issue 1, the comic, is live on Kickstarter for a few more hours. Check it out for yourself. It's where the world of professional wrestling meets Dexter. Get your copy today at www.inked forward slash pub heel turn today. And we welcome our guest, Jason Douglas. Welcome, sir. Hey, hello. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on. Good. Uh, thank, thanks for coming on. We did, uh, we, we were playing like a ping pong match back and forth for like the last week or so. And, uh, and it's get, time to make it happen. It's time to make it happen. Got to make it happen. I'm just waiting to get my bookcases back from my friend so I can make what's behind you happen over here. Oh, yes. my. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not for show. Uh, I can confidently say I have read most of those books on those shelves. Oh, very good. I read... I've read all of my comic books. I got, a, I got like 150 boxes here right now. Nice. So... Uh, and I am selling them to buy more comic books. Of course. That's the way to do it, right? You know, between stuff that catches my eye and, uh, you know, and then I go go check out some of the some of the indie projects over on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, too. And, right. You know, got to shop around. There's, there's, there's more places than uh, that... Uh, place that's named after a gemstone to uh, buy comics from nowadays. For sure. <laughs> uh, I want some place that's going to deliver my comics when they're not, they're not late or broken. Uh, mm. Mm. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, I know. Right. Uh, I've been having some pretty good luck recently. So, you know, I, I can't complain. I'm getting some good stuff. Excellent. And uh, I'm happy because uh, I, 
just want something different to read once in a while. I'm only re I'm only reading like nine different books at the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a couple prose books, so I can say I'm I'm actually reading a proper book. Uh, you know, one of them I've been reading since 2003. It, nice. it, was, in, it was in storage for a number of years. It's the uh, it's an anniversary uh, tell all of uh, Alan Moore. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, it's uh, I think 25th anniversary or 50th anniversary, one of those two. Yeah. And there's there's like 143 different creators that have all chimed in to uh, surprisingly say nice things about him. That's and cool. It's, it's a it's a biography, but he didn't write it. Somebody else to do that, and it's it's got a lot of cool old school Aaron Alan Moore picks from you know from you know UK comics and uh -huh. ads that he's worked on and you know pictures of his of his youth you know so we know where Merlin grew up and in what castle and right 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 you know a lot of stuff from his childhood it's it's super interesting I I recommend it to everybody I'll take a snapshot of it and uh and uh email it to you so yeah I'd love to see it yeah that sounds really know. cool and I'm reading a bunch of graphic novels and and digging out books and seeing what I can sell to uh, buy more books. Yeah, right. You know, I'm, I'm a lot of the books I'm selling, um, certain series. I'm basically trading up. I'm getting rid of the floppies that take up a ton of room. Sure. And I'm I'm upgrading to hardcovers that can go on a can go on a shelf or uh, or a bookshelf and. Uh, I can still enjoy them, and that way I will actually know where they are. I just did uh, the the upgrade of my Uncanny X Men Marvel Masterworks to the omnibuses that have come out in the last like year and a half, oh, nice. which are very huge, very heavy, very impractical, but gorgeous, and I love them. Yes, uh, I got a I've got a few of those. I've got the uh, I haven't opened it yet. It was actually bought. What is a gift for a friend of mine? Because the only comic he ever he ever liked or read was in The Incredible Hulk growing up. Yeah. Uh, but it was supposed to be a birthday gift for him. But sadly, uh, he passed away before I could give it to him. So I've still got it. Uh, it'll stay in my collection, and it'll stay it'll stay the way it is wrapped. But it'll it'll be a prominent place on the bookshelf because it's like cool. one of one of my best friends. But I also have the. Uh, the 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 special edition red leather uh, Frank Miller Daredevil omnibus. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that. Oh, I would. I'd have to. I I used to put it on a table and then back up my computer chair to on an angle to look at it and and carefully turn the pages and I couldn't get close to it because I didn't want to drool all over it <laughs> because you know. That whole run would, was my high school years. Yeah, and I'm like, and I didn't even know who I didn't know who most of Marvel were because okay. I grew up I grew up on DC, and and like you know Archie's and and Harvey too is like all the cartoon ones from the 60s and 70s and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I I knew I knew Marvel and I knew a bunch of Marvel characters, but you know I didn't know like the landscape. I knew Hulk because TV show cartoons. Uh, I, of course, I knew Spider-Man because I used to read the Spider-Man strip 
in the daily newspaper when I was a kid and get excited because Sunday it was in color. Uh, yes. It was still only three panels, but it was in color. Uh, so I bought, uh, I bought like a lot of amazing Spider-Man off this. It was just a spinner rack and a little uh, family owned drugstore, you know, before CVS and Walgreens. Um, I still remember buying Peter Parker, spectacular Spider-Man number one off the spinner rack. Nice. With, uh, from 76 and with Tarantula on the cover. Yep. I, I still have that here somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I felt, I fell in love with, uh, a team book Legion of superheroes that Michael Brian Bendis came over and destroyed this past couple <laughs> of years. Uh, and you know, you know, stuff, stuff, stuff like that. Uh, I would buy Superman once in a while, but I was, you know, I liked the Superman cartoons. I liked, I loved the, I still love the George Reed uh, Superman TV show, but I was a Batman guy because 66 Batman started playing in reruns. So I would watch it every morning before I went up to school and fell in love with Cesar Romero as, as the Joker. And uh, yeah. And as you can see, uh, Joker fan. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, that that uh, Daredevil run is a heck of a gateway into it, though. Um, oh yeah, I mean he uh, it was it it broke so many conventions in my opinion. You know, for the late, it, well, I mean he started drawing it what in seventy nine, and then started writing it uh, what a year later or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and he was still like there was still that Marvel editorial mandate of the of the recap that kind of. Uh, you know, every any issue could be somebody's first issue. So there's that kind of ham-fisted way to to recap who he was and what the situation was in those first few pages or panels, every single issue. But like, other than that, I remember like reading as a kid, going, "This is this is not like other things that I was reading," and just being very impressed um, uh, with what he did with that book. Yeah, yeah, because I I had said, I go, "Is Daredevil like?" Marvel's Batman, and they were like, "No, Moon Knight is like yeah. Marvel's Batman, right? Daredevil is Marvel's punching bag." Yes, I'm like, cool. <laughs> and I be I became uh, you know a long hard fan of Daredevil, and I collected it for probably about twenty years. Oh wow, you know, and I had I had a hell of a run, and then I ended up. Uh, I ended up selling selling it off. I still have the uh, I don't want to call it rebirth, but the uh, his sec uh, Frank's Please. second like little short little run. I know what you're talking about. Yes, I still have all those. I still have oh, all born those again, born again. Yes, yeah. I still have all those original issues. So when I saw the ending of one of the next Netflix episodes and him waking up in bed with the nun. Yeah. I freaked the hell out. And, you know, I, I was like, like the meme of the guy that was in uh, heroes that could hear the voices in his head. Uh -huh. I was like, Oh, <laughs> was, I was like, this is the best thing ever. And then like, you know, a week later, uh, 
we have to announce that all of the Netflix Marvel shows are now canceled. Right. Son of a... But I just read the other day uh, that Charlie Cox has canceled all his convention appearances, uh, apparently coinciding with some reshoots for the new Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Yeah. So... So there's that, and I know uh, Kingpin from the Netflix series is is in as Kingpin for the MCU, which is a perfect choice because he killed it. He oh, was, yeah, he, Yes. Oh, he was so, so good. Absolutely. He was, was, like, unbelievably good. I, I thought uh, their Vanessa was, you know, after the initial meeting – I, I thought I thought she was uh, a little intense, yeah, and and not not over the top, but uh, yeah, she she started scaring me, and I'm like, I don't know if Vanessa in the comic books ever scaring me, you know, be wary of her, but you know, but I mean, they did a great job with it. Yeah, absolutely. I did get the uh, I I do have one X Men omnibus. You do. It is the first print omnibus of oh big storyline. They go into an alternate future. It starts with the four issues of Legion Quest. Oh oh, uh, Age of Apocalypse. Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, that's I I yes I I uh, I got that one uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, read it, yes, because I did that very. Um, it's almost that typical comics thing where, in my you know my late teens or whatever, I quit for like nine years. Mm-hmm. I came back into a comic shop, you know, like nine years later, and and got hooked all over again. But uh, I actually walked away from comics right before that, so like right around like late '94, and that's like a '95 storyline. So I missed that the first time around. I had like this buddy who was uh, Age of Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Like I, I met him in college when we were going to doing our teacher classes, and he was like that. That was like his. That was his thing, and he always recommended, always recommended it. And everything that I had heard of, like once I was back in, is like '90s X Men is touch and go. Uh, uh, not very consistent, but like maybe Age of Apocalypse. So I got that omnibus, read it, loved it. In fact, um, am a couple issues away from just like putting together the floppy run of it just to have it with all the um, all the different books. And uh, yeah, I, I I actually just found my floppy run like a like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and I actually uh, bagged up like the issues like from. You know the the Gen X issues mm-hmm. are all together, and I've got like a little a little torn off like notepad, like a pocket notepad thing, where I where I wrote down uh, like because the series that I didn't collect, I probably like missed an issue here or there from getting them all. So I've got I've got lists in there of exactly what issues I need. I know they're not very expensive. So no, way I can- no, I've like my my age of apocalypse. I mean, besides, oh, you know, uh, X Men Prime, X Men Alpha, and X Men Omega, which might cost you like ten bucks. Everything else is dollar bin stuff. Yeah, um, almost across the board. 
In fact, across the board, all of it. Um, and and that's you know I, I like that. I uh, out there putting together runs. I love uh, just as much as like getting you know spending a little bit of money on on something that's a bit more of a key. I get just as much pleasure from finding you know completing that run from the dollar bin as I do anything else for sure. Oh yeah, like I like uh, I like going and finding stuff. Uh, like if there's something I want to read. And I'll, I'll stumble across like a package deal at like a, you know, a store that's advertising like online, whether it's Facebook or whatever. And I started shopping through uh, comic book shopping network on Facebook. Okay. And I caught a deal. The, uh, I've got it here. It's still in this big giant box because they'll, they do a build a box where they ship you just over an entire short box of comics. Okay. In one drop shipment. And uh, one of the things that I grabbed was Mike Grell's John Sable Freelance from First oh, Comics. Kidding. What? It's not the complete run. There's like two or three issues missing. But I have, and it went on, it went on past 40, not too much longer, but it's basically uh, one through 40 for like 15 bucks. Very cool. So I'm like, oh, I'm paying, you know, about 50 cents an issue. Yeah. Like I go, and then I almost welled up a little bit. I remember the quarter boxes. (laughs) Of course, I was 16 at the time, but, you know, they didn't last very long. But you can, you can find all kinds, all kinds of great reads. But I mean, there's certain things that I'm, that I'm going to wait till I can get it. In like a nice, nice hardcover, like uh, uh, John John Burns' Fantastic Four run. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, still, in my opinion, the best run of Fantastic Four. Uh, I, I after feel, after Stan and Jack. But I mean, and but let's be honest. Some of that is is the best run for its historical significance. Not necessarily every story that they told. Where. Yeah. Whereas Burns Run, I, I, there are, I think, I, on the Marvel side of things, I think the three seminal runs of the 80s, the ones where the storytelling, uh, if not the art as well, that is just so tight and just so wonderful. And just even though it's limited by certain um, like 1980s tropes about how you wrote comics, I, I just, they stand the test of time. And that's, of course, uh, uh, Claremont's run on the X-Men, right? Which mm-hmm. is the entire 80s, right? Hands down. Um, I think Walt Simonson's Thor run and then Burns' uh, FF run, for sure. I'm with you on that, totally. Those are those are the three that, um, while I was aware of them as a little kid and poked around uh, with them and collected them, was not like hyper aware of like, oh, th- this singular creator was driving this and follow it, follow it, follow it. But like as an adult, those three, um, I appreciate almost more than anything else. Oh yeah, for sure. Those, I mean, Claremont's the reason I dove so deep into the X-Men because I didn't know who the X-Men were before I discovered that. But I didn't, uh, I, I was introduced to them in that awesome episode of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Oh, nice. Really? 
and uh and it was great except uh the whole terrible wolverine scene yeah where they decided we're going to make him an aussie and he's only going to use his claws to pick up fruit and offer yeah. snacks to people yeah uh, I actually, uh, I actually discovered the X Men in a very strange way. So, um, I, I don't know where it came from, uh, but I had somebody gave me a mass market trade paperback. So, like literally the kind of little paperback book you'd shove in your back pocket, right? Oh yeah, like the digest. And, yeah. and it reprinted um, uh, the Mutant X Proteus saga, like those three or four issues, and then the the, the two or three issues of. Uh, which were a few before that of the the first time the X-Men ran into arcade. And this was, I mean, those came out, those are like very early, those are early eighties issues. It's kind of before I'm, it's before my time, before I'm reading comics, but I've got this mass market trade paper. It's, it's in black and white and it's tiny. And there's only two panels on a page and the panels are not shaped the way the panels are in the book. And it's two panels per page and it just covers those like five issues or whatever. And yet like, like completely destroying, you know, the pacing and storytelling that comics do so well. And yet it worked because it was, you know, because it was those great stories. And I just loved it from that day forward. Oh yeah. I, I love the, I love the pocket digest. I, I'm missing, I think two out of the entire uh, Legion of Superheroes run that DC did. Oh, really? You know, I, I got like three more like last year for like, you know, for like a buck or two a piece. And I'm like, sure, I don't have these. Yeah, cool. You know, I'll, I'll take those. You know, th those were big when I was a kid. Uh, they were like, they started out like at a dollar ninety five, and then went up to like two ninety five at some point. Uh, those in the big little books. Mm. Oh, I've still got those. I still got the big little books I got as a kid. Uh, one is probably buried underneath something here on my desk, but it's an antique. Yeah. Uh, from from the early '40s, and it's a uh, Mandrake the Magician. Oh, no kidding! And then from my time in the '70s, I've got. Uh, I've got a Long Ranger one. Uh, I've got a, a Batman one, a Spider-Man one, and my my favorite one, which was the Fantastic Four versus Doctor Doom. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I've still got all those here, and you know, a nice big pile. And then I found out the the bottom fell out of the big little books, and then I started, you know, looking on eBay and be like, "Ooh, let's see what I can get for a bundle of comic related." Uh, big little books online excellent very cool so uh tell us about your background uh writing and into comics and why you chose comics yeah well it was a lifelong dream this is my first book so parallel is is actually like this, this sucker right here is the very my very first attempt so my very first script my very first comic and uh, a lifelong dream, but I kind of came about writing it in a fairly backwards fashion. Um, 20 years of it sitting in the back burner of my brain saying, this is something I want to do, and yet not having the motivation and the, the catalyst and the spark to actually sit down and attempt it. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, a few years before I even wrote the script, 
the, the same dude who I was telling you about who like turned me on to Age of Apocalypse. Like yeah. we are brainstorming, uh, you know, doing a, 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 a adults pr- uh, approaching middle age brainstorming cool comic ideas as you do over the phone, and 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 like the the idea of a story about parallel worlds and uh, a different version of you reaching out as it, as it happens in parallel. Like that idea was brainstormed several years before I even wrote this still not enough of a catalyst to get me to sit down and do it. Now I had been writing before that. I mean, my day job, I've been a public school teacher for 21 years, but like I had written and published plays uh, at uh, the elementary school level and the middle school level with uh, some, you know, the, the, the big play publishers that sent them out to schools and, um, and local theaters and stuff because uh, that, that blissful ignorance of, Oh yeah, I can do that because I'm running these drama clubs and we didn't have a budget. And I'm like, well, how do I, how, we need skits. We need plays. I know I will write them. You know, just that kind of, that kind of uh, uh, irrational confidence that you can have sometimes. <laughs> and so like, I have the, like these years of, of, of experience with that and some success with that. Um, and then what happened is one summer when I would normally sit down and write the play for the next season, um, the third thing fell into place. So I had this motivation, this lifelong dream to write a comic, to, to, to participate. I had the, the, the sci-fi twist, uh, the, the comic booky trappings of what the story eventually became. Um, but the, 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 the thing that actually spurred me, that got me kicked, kicked me in the butt and make me actually sit down the actual final spark, the catalyst was quite literally talking to some former students of mine. Um, and I've been doing this long enough where I have uh, students who are, you know, pushing 30 now, basically the same age as Landon in the book. And uh, one conversation sticks out in my mind right now with this young lady who I had, you know, years and years and years ago. And she was just talking about how she was going through that existential crisis that so many of us do at different points of our life where just like that, five years, 10 years have gone by. And that dream you thought you had forever to get to it seems like it's passed you by because you deferred that dream. Her in her early twenties, it had to do with a dance studio starting in Chicago. And she kind of went, she was going through this crisis about like, like, where is the time gone? Like, is it too late for me to pursue this dream? And it just clicked for me. And so that summer I sat down um, again with that kind of irrational confidence and blissful ignorance saying, well, I can write plays. I can do this. Um, It's a much harder and more difficult animal to write a comic script, but I didn't know that. So I sat down and wrote the first half of Parallel, 32 pages. So something I always wanted to do, um, but but then just through that kind of that 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 not knowing how to do it, and you just dive in, you know, feet first, uh, head first, whichever analogy you want to use, and just went for it, and and that's how I got there. So I wrote that kind of first half in a bubble, um, shopped that first 32 pages. In fact, I stopped uh, the, the page it stops on is, is the page you and I were talking about before we, uh, before we started recording, uh, when Landon wakes up and comes out of his coma and he's on the ventilator and he, he's like, all these things I'm seeing in my head are real. Boom. That was that cutoff point, 32 pages in and, uh, uh, very old school, not very 21st century took that script um, cover letter, uh, a pitch and started, and I took it to Motor City Comic Con that year and started walking around and walked up to the Source Point booth, handed it to him. Uh, just so happened to, uh, the first person I talked to was Travis McIntyre, the president, co-founder and editor-in-chief of Source Point, uh, with mm-hmm. the most glorious red beard you've ever seen in your life, walked right over to him. 
he thought he was like he like well, you're you're a strange person. It's like you're trying to pitch me a comic from 1971. Everything is digital these days. Where's your Kickstarter? I was like, I don't know these words you're saying. Handed it to him. He read it that night. We were in business the next day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know nothing of this business, right? Exactly. Let, let me take this and I'll get back to you. Wink, wink. Uh, right. Like he's like, I like the cut of your jib. You're weird. You've got a lot of enthusiasm. You're gonna hustle for me. Goes back and reads it, and I like your story. Let's do it this weird way that we haven't done it in this industry in about two decades, but we're gonna do it the old school way with you. So we're gonna go all old fashioned and yeah. we'll go from there and see what happens. And this is what happened. You finally have a comic book after all. That's right. And it exists and it's in the world and uh Oh, it's almost sold out. There's not that many copies left, and it's probably wow. going to because, like, obviously, cons are back. And I did my first event um, last weekend at the Detroit Festival of Books and got to sit on the other side of the table, which is kind of like that last missing piece, right, of this whole experience of, uh, of you know, the creation process, the, the publishing process, the promotion process, and the last piece that I was had been missing now for, for almost a full year. Um, when distribution and then cons and and everything got you derailed last spring, um, and now that's kind of going. So I've got some cons I'm booked in, and uh, and some signings and some events, and uh, that's kind of what I'm in the middle of right now. So uh, you did your first convention. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a one day, it was like the Detroit festival of books. So um, there wasn't a lot, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a starter thing getting my feet wet. I mean, not that I don't know what the convention scene is, but not on this side of it. Um, But like, yeah, it was like my first event and I got to sit there and I got to sign books for people and and pitch the book to people walking by. And, and it was, it was really cool. I loved it. So how did, uh, shall shall we put it at, how did uh, 14-year-old you react to being a creator at a comic book show? Like every, I got to be honest with you, like every step of the way um, has been absolutely amazing because like the, the, the fanboy in me just can't believe that each piece happens. Now it's indie comics. It's, it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears, right? It takes, oh, yeah, yeah. like it takes a, one of the biggest takeaways from this whole process has been, um, I, I, I will never take the effort and the time, um, and the group effort from so many different people that goes into making a comic and putting it on the world. I'll never take that for granted again. Like every single thing that I read since I started this process, I have this new appreciation for how much time, how much effort, um, how much love goes into it. And from so many different angles and people too. So, um, you know, over the last couple of years, as, as it, you know, each piece comes together it's like it's like these the, 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 this bit of time where life just continues and then just an explosion of 14 year old me fandom geeking out like oh my god i can't believe this is happening the the you know the, the signing of that contract was huge the the sample art that that came in from Adam Ferris when uh, SourcePoint and Travis hooked me up with with, with an artist. Um, the first page that he sent me that was completed uh, when Justin Birch, the letter who is a god, he does letters for everybody. Um, 
did a FaceTime call with me and let me watch him letter two of the pages of my book, you know, to uh, I turn the page in previews and there's parallel right there. Do you know what I mean? And like every single step of the way was just amazing. But I'll tell you, to go back to your original question, um, I, I didn't sleep well the night before because, uh, you know, <laughs> on one hand, I knew I was going to be okay being on the other side of the table because my day job uh, for the last nine years, at least has been convincing 14 year olds that like grammar isn't boring. So like I can sell, I can sell an idea. Like I knew I was going to be able to do it, but I'd never done it before. Like, the unknown is scary, right? I mean, thematically the book, one of the reasons that we defer our dreams so often in life is because it's always easier to do nothing than to do something. Mm -hmm. Ooh, why did I wait two decades to, to take the plunge into something I knew I really wanted to do? Because it's always easier to do nothing than to do something, right? Yeah, um, I've been getting good at the nothing part. Yeah, it's great. It's so easy. It's it's so easy. Um, and so so I was like really, really nervous about it, but then loved every minute of, of it, of course. And I've, I, I did the same thing when I was becoming a teacher, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, at college and doing my internship slash student teaching and stuff, you're, you're watching and absorbing every person who's in the middle of it and living it. Right. And you're taking the things that like, I can, I can, I can be that I can emulate that. I'm definitely not going to be like that. I'm definitely not going to do that. And I did, I have been the same thing. I've been, I was studying for last weekend for years at every con that I ever went to. Every creator that I ever, as a fan, went up to and said, will you sign my book? Um, and how they reacted to that and how they interacted with their fans, whether I'm watching them online or how they're interacting with me, I was taking everything I could, absorbing every second of it, making the plan for who I was going to be when I was finally on the other side of that table. You know, uh, Bernie Wrightson was maybe the most incredible human being from the oh, creator yeah. side that I've ever met in my life. Uh, he was a saint. And like, I, I learned just as much from him and saying, okay, here's how I'm going to behave if I'm ever on that side of the table, as I did from the people who were gruff with um, or, or dismissive of their fans. Um, you know, and, and you take that and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if maybe they're having a terrible day, you don't know what's going on inside their head. But like, if that's the only interaction that, that a person's going to have with me, maybe ever in their life, I, you got to do the same thing with teaching in the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. I don't care how bad of a day I'm having. You can't take it out on that kid, right? It's not that kid's fault that you're having a crap day. Same thing with like somebody who comes up to you at the at a con. And I had people come up that, that were that came to this show just to see me and just to get their book signed. I had people that I met for the first time. I had people that I you know came over and talked to them and and they were interested. And it doesn't matter um, uh, if it's going to be their interaction with you. You've got to make it a good one for them, no matter where you are in your headspace. Oh yeah, you know as much as you might actually want to take it out on that kid. <laughs> You're right. Because he's never turned in a homework assignment. Sure. All year. And you're like, oh. but then, you know, you're going to be the one in, ending up in the principal's office. And that shouldn't happen anymore because you graduated a few years before. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, just a, just a couple. 
but uh, you know that's that's why they make those uh, those punching bags that you can buy at the store and take home. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you that's know, right. be, between between dinner and and talking to the rest of the family, uh, you you can go a couple rounds with that punching bag, hit the showers, <sighs> and and carry on. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You know, uh, I know this because I now have a teenage daughter. So oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, I, I, I have I have a 15 year old young man living in this house with me right now that. Uh, yes, uh, a big sigh, I think, uh, says it more between the two of us than any words we could say. Mm. So let me join you. <sighs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. You know, I've I've been, you know, on on like screen calls like this with with friends and family and they'll be like, oh, how old's your daughter now? I go, she's about to be 13. And almost everybody in unison just goes, oh, we're sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like <laughs> it's oh. uh it's a cliche and yet it's very, very true. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I will eventually have one person say, what are you going to do when your daughter starts dating? I go, she's already been told she's not allowed to date till I die. Yeah. And the times that I've coded out in the hospital being ill do not count. Correct. You know, I, I also know that uh, in my closet, I have a T-shirt with a picture of a spade shovel that reads, I have a beautiful daughter, a gun, a shovel, and an alibi. And an, and an empty shotgun shell to toss it, toss it, boys, hopefully many years from now and tell them after 10 o'clock, they come a lot faster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's it's comical now, but when it happens, it will not be comical. <laughs> Correct. Correct. You know, but. uh She's she's into art, and all she wanted for her birthday this past year for me was a, uh, you know, a couple of big pillows for her bed, oversized like body pillows and stuff, to to relax on. And she wanted a new art program for her iPad. Oh, cool! So I'm like, okay, she has only allowed me to see a couple of things she's ever drawn, uh, like in the last, you know, the the preteen to the teen years. But uh, I've seen them and been astounded at the amount of her, of her talent, which makes perfect sense because I have none. I'm the guy that artists get mad at when you, when you do the, the cliche, whoa, you're an artist? I can't even draw a stick figure. Which apparently from talking to an artist friend of mine in Italy the other day uh, really pisses off artists. So <laughs> it's like, you know, if you have... If you have at least one hand and an arm, you can draw a stick figure. It might not be a good-looking stick figure, attractive. The circle might meet, not meet, but you can still do it. So, right. you know, stop. <laughs> right. You know. So that that got us that got us to here, and the book is almost completely sold out. Yeah, there's uh, I think there's under 200 copies left. And so like, I, I, you know, most likely those will go on the con circuit this this summer and fall. And because uh, SourcePoint does 
gangbusters at cons. So like if anybody mm-hmm. wanted to get their hands on it, we can talk a little bit about it and, and pitch it, give people an idea of what it's actually about um, in a minute here. But like if people want it um, and aren't going to be at uh, like a con that I'm at, um, you can get it through sourcepointpress.com right now. And they've got digital copies. They got paper copies, you know, the, the few that are left. There's a couple of in the world. I'll show you these. Uh, there's a couple of these variants left, uh, less than 50 of those left. And then this, this is what I really want to show you that sold out in like 48 hours. Oh yeah. I saw that. Yeah. So I've got one copy that was gifted to me. And then this, there was a, 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 a virgin foil variant that the store gave me. And this is like the only, uh, I own, but I'll tell you this. Um, people need to come over and, and, and hang out with me on Instagram and follow me because in the next, I think probably end of August, I'm going to be giving away this slab 9.8 of the actual book. Um, that'll be a a free giveaway on my Instagram. And that's just, uh, at J Douglas writes, if you want to come over and, and follow me there. Um, yeah. So like you can go over to source point press and get it. And it's basically, you know, the, is the book means a lot to me because it, it kind of scratches the two itches that I developed as a comic fan in my early teens and then really, really grew to appreciate when I came back to the hobby, um, um, like in my mid-20s, when I came back into comic shops, uh, hunting down a, a, a Neil Gaiman project. And, and that's this. It's got your... You know, if you're if you're just like a sci-fi comic book fan, it's got that for you. If you want something that's going to make you think and uh, go a little bit deeper and is rereadable, uh, I made sure that was very important to me that because those are my favorite type of stories. That that's mm-hmm. there too. Um, so it's 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 you know parallels the 64-page one-shot graphic novel uh, that is just like a dark, twisted sci-fi tale that really begs the question for the reader: like, what price would you pay for a second chance at the dreams you thought you left behind? And it's about Landon. And Landon gave up his his dreams of a career in music in his early 20s. He deferred those dreams, as so much of us do, because we think we have all the time in the world, right? And he takes that job and he settles into that relationship. And just like the former student who really was the catalyst and inspired me to go out and write this, you know, he wakes up five, 10 years later and he's going through what the kids call these days the quarter life crisis, right? Where that existential dread, that anxiety, that stress, that depression, that stagnation that your life becomes because five years will go by in a blink of an eye and you haven't made any progress on what you thought your life was going to be. And um, for him, it manifests where he's at his depressive nadir and he starts hearing voices and seeing visions. And obviously, as any of us would, would question his sanity, um, but it's actually a, an alternate version of him who's offering Landon uh, a second chance at that that life that he thought he left behind. And uh, unfortunately for our Landon, it might just not be in his best mental and physical interest to pursue the cost of those uh, that that that, uh, that second chance with um, with the parallel Landon. Um, so it gets it gets pretty dark, but but uh, you know this this crescendo of of tension as he tries to experience this life he thought he left behind, but at, at what cost, right? Um, and but 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 I think what I am really proudest of the most is like 
it's really about at its core um, that thing that most of us go through, that universal uh, kind of theme of time passing and what that does to us and, and how we deal with that. Because, um, and Landon goes through this in the book where it's a very isolating feeling, right? Whichever way it manifests for you, whether that's anxiety or existential dread or depression or whatever, um, you know, a life in stagnation, like however that manifests for you, it's very isolating because you're going through it seemingly alone, right? It's, it's, it's your life. And yet the, the, the irony is everybody goes through some version of that, right? Mm-hmm. Middle age for some of us, quarter life for others of us, everybody goes through it. It's like this universal thing. And yet we tend to feel very isolated by it. And that's really kind of the core at the, at the center of the book and, and how Landon deals with it and the help that he seeks and the people that support him, the people that don't. And, uh, and then the decisions he makes um, on what to do going forward uh, with his life. Yeah. It's uh, it's not easy. Let me tell you, I'm in, I'm in my fifties and, uh, my mother was right about everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just like shaking my head going, yeah, I know. I know. And I'll, I'll be hearing voices in my head and it's just echoes of the past from yeah. things my mother said to me as I am repeating them to my now teenage daughter and going, oh, God. <laughs> Right, I, I, I turned who, into my who mother. Probably even cognitively, cognitively does not have the ability to truly hear what you're saying, and will have mm-hmm. to discover it on her own. Yeah, you well, know? first she would have to unplug her earbuds. To right, right. Hear well, yeah, there is there, there is that too. I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, but like I mean, I mean, you know, I. The, while this is not like a, a 100% autobiographical story, in fact, there, there's there's a little bit of me, I think, in most of the characters. Like a lot of people ask me, like, are you Landon? No. Yes, but no. I, I'm just as much some of the other characters as I am him. But definitely, I mean, there's – forgive the, 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 the name drop. There, there's a parallel between the idea that I waited so long to do this thing that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and was it too late? In my case, no, right? Uh, and and that's like that's advice I give anybody. I mean, the, the two biggest things um, that I hope people take away from this book is number one, you are not alone in whichever way that this thing that we all go through in some version or you know manifests for you. And it's always better to talk to somebody than to try to just deal with it on your own, right? Yeah. Uh, in Landon's case, like, you know, the, there's a pretty positive portrayal of, uh, of the mental health industry in this book that I that I wanted to research and portray in that way. Does it necessarily solve everything for him? No. Um, but it's it's definitely something that helps him um, as long as people take that away from it. Like the, the idea to talk to somebody rather than nobody. That's a big win. I, I hope, you know, one person does that. That's a victory for me. Um, and then the fact that, like, it's probably not too late. Right. If you've got something, you know, do it. That was actually that was actually advice that 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 I've given and was given to me. Just do it. You want to write a comic book? Go write it. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds glib the first time you hear it. But like all I can I don't know what will happen if you sit down and pursue your dream. 
whether it's uh, get, you know, whether it's talking on uh, 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 on the internet to people all day long about comic books, right, or um, or, or sitting down and, and writing something or drawing something or whatever your dream is. Like I can't promise you what happens next. All I can promise you is that if you don't do it, nothing will happen. Yeah, I, I don't know if it'll be good, but once it exists in the world, you've got now something that exists that you can make good. Uh, there's something to work with, but if like it becomes something, it doesn't become something. I don't know. All I know is that if you don't do it, nothing will happen. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I started, uh, this trip, like many years ago, I wrote, I wrote a couple of articles for, uh, fanboy.com. Okay. Uh, one on the history of Conan you know, from, from books to comics to, you know, games and all cool. that, ha- all that happy stuff. And then I, yeah. then I wrote a, uh, kind of like a comparison, but not comparison, um, between DC and Marvel. And it was, uh, new 52 versus civil war. Oh, fascinating. You know, and, uh, and then I didn't do anything for a long time. And then I, you know, coma and uh a while afterwards i ended up uh being introduced to uh martin dunn who's been a comic book creator for years uh has since retired out of the business and all he wants to do now is make music but he 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 put up a put up a website and he had me start writing for him that's cool and i was interviewing uh i was interviewing bands i was uh reviewing albums and I was starting to do uh, comic book stuff, but they didn't get a lot of comic book stuff. So I went out of my way to hit up publishers to try to get comic book stuff. So I, so I did like, you know, small press stuff and a, and a few other things. And then I interviewed uh, Andy Belanger who uh, now now has an indie book out called mother trucker uh, who, uh, who at the time was working on uh, a, uh, a run of Vampirella, which, you know, by the way, I love that character. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> 14-year-old me says, yes, good call. Uh, and he was he was working, uh, he was working on a run of that that uh, started off kind of like kind of like a Mad Max version of Vampirella. Yeah. And so I was interviewing him for that, and then one of one of the uh, one of the officers from Outright Geekery saw that, and because I was sharing it around everywhere, and uh, he he approached me, and they said, "Do you want to come on and and you know do reviews for us?" And I went from doing review, you know, writing actual tickety tackety tickety tackety reviews to. Uh, and ended up becoming the uh, the person that talked to all the publishers. Oh, cool! You know, so I was the content delivery manager. Uh, well, they had their website up, but we grew so much that we blew up the website, <laughs> and the owner decided he didn't want to dish out money to get a bigger website with higher bandwidth and everything, right? Uh, to keep going, so he just went back to where he started, which was just running everything on social media. Interesting. At which point I said, okay, screw it. I'm going to go start a podcast. 
and and here we are. And you did uh, it. Uh, over 150 episodes later, uh, also started a podcast with uh, a cohort from Outright Geekery, uh, Thomas Hewlett, that is called okay boomer the podcast where all <laughs> all we yeah great isn't it you will never forget the name of that podcast no nope. uh, and all we do is we'll pick a back issue to read for a week and you know and then the following week we'll come on and we'll dissect it we'll go through it like page by page and you know give our you know give our our two cents with it and interact with anybody that shows up in the chat and uh you know we we've done lots of stuff lots of indies uh we did we covered uh bill wilmingham's uh elementals oh cool which i just got the naughty cover of elementals number one with fathom swimming with the dolphin okay which okay. Caught, which caused a uh a, a bit of a shock jock panic at the time because they you know it was they were calling it the sex cover it's it's fathom and well she's naked uh swimming with a dolphin with the bottom of the dolphin facing her and she's facing this way swimming and swimming in the cover and it was a little too risque for the eight for like the uh the late 80s so i got a copy of that and i've got the rest of the series um and we we've done like so many books we've been doing it like over a year and uh this week we're doing the first issue of sandman mystery theater <gasps> oh there are two original pages from issue number four up there behind me signed nice by davis right there yes nice well, i'm i'm a big matt fan already so oh well yeah uh he was nice too i, I met him a couple of times um sandman mystery theater was my book as a kid that I loved, but like at 12, there's really no reason why a 12 year old should love Sandman mystery theater. Do you know what I mean? Like there's mm -hmm. not, it's so not <laughs> a 12 year old boy's book. And yet, God, did I love that book? It's so oh. noir. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know why I like it. Oh, oh I, I love it. it. I love it. Yes. You know, Sandman mystery theater was one of my jams as a kid for, for some reason. Yeah. And it's, it's great because the the week before we covered something in it where Sandman showed up, like yeah, the original Sandman, and a few months prior, like when a holiday comes up, we'll tackle like either a big mini series uh, that is actually you know in like a in a graphic novel. So uh -huh. we did uh, we did Kingdom Come, okay, which if you remember that story. The entire that entire story plot revolved started and revolved around the original Sandman, and uh, you know things things that happened at the beginning of that kind of intricately weaves into the story, and it was you know and you know outside of the fact that 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 four issue run was just legendary for sure, you know. But you know, we do stuff like that, and then uh, once a week, I do a uh, I do an art stream with an artist that I'm a big fan of, and we just go on and talk talk nerd crap, 
you know, all night and he draws like live art on, on the stream and yeah, you know, we have a blast. So, so this is, you know, this is, this is all I do. I talk to one artist and at least I, I talk to at least one artist a week, a whole bunch of writers and possibly some more artists, you know? So, you know, that's, that's pretty much my week. And sometimes I go crazy like this week, right? I do uh, three interviews in one day. So, right. um, just so I can take a day off, but I'm actually not taking a day off next week. I'm just taking a day off from my personal show to go and run somebody else's show. <laughs> so, but you know, I'm having a blast. I was doing three episodes a week and then I ended up in, in contact with so many people from around the world with the time difference. So I'm interviewing creators from around the world from you know, from the UK, from uh, South Wales, uh, the Netherlands, Germany. And it, you know, so I'm like, well, with the time difference, uh, I can start like around one, one Eastern uh -huh. and, and still make it. So like one Eastern uh, UK, t you know, not, not Central Europe, but UK time, like, you know, London, that area, that general area, yeah, it's like five hours ahead. So, you know, one o'clock here at 6 p.m. there. Right. You know, so uh, it's worked out. The problem is, is sometimes I end up, uh, you know, people saying, well, my campaign's ending or the book's hitting the shelf this week. Uh, I'd really like to be able to get on. And then the next thing I know, I've got uh, I've got six episodes of Creators <laughs> Outlet, uh, an OK Boomer and a Sean Zilla art show. I'm like. Right. Oh man, it's a good thing I don't have a job. I'd never be able to do anything. <laughs> you know, it's like physical physical therapy and comic book stuff. Yeah. And you know, it's like, have you finished reading any of those books you were reading? No. No. Nope. Why not? Why not? Uh, I'm doing nine shows this week. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess. Uh, <laughs> like, well, you know, so it's it's what I like to do. You know, if if cons had been open all last year, I would have been at a couple of cons. And when I cover a con, I do not leave Artist Alley. Right. I go to Artist Alley and I hang out there. Uh, 2019, I covered, because uh, I'm in Southern Mass, so I covered Rhode Island Comic Con in uh, November 2019. And I got to meet uh, Neil Adams. Nice. In a good mood. Uh, Doesn't happen every con. Nope. Well, it's when they were still setting up. So, yeah. Um, and then after the fact, he realized that I was a member of the press. He just thought because I was in a wheelchair, they let me in early, uh, which was, you know, it was true on both accounts. Um, right. But I talked to him for like a little over an hour. Uh, him, his daughter uh, and and uh, his uh, his setup guy. So, OK, you know, I just got to talk in you know, just basically thanking him for like all this, all the cool stuff he did, you know, on Batman back then and stop myself from saying, can you please stop making Batman books now? Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a mixed bag. I, I yeah. hear you loud and clear. Yeah. It's, you know, and uh, I, I got to, uh, I got to meet and I basically hung out, for like 
a combined probably like an hour a day for like all three days with like Graham Nolan. Oh wow! As soon as somebody would come come near, because I I talked to Graham all the time online, and uh, we did like an interview when he he launched his his first uh, indie book the other year, the Chanu. Um, I interviewed him for that before we went video. Okay. Um, so I I I talked to him like you know on a regular basis and stuff. Uh, I also met uh, Bill McKay and uh, and and talked to him. And Bill was depressed because he was like a year behind on commissions, uh, but he got caught up that weekend, so it was good. Uh, I got to meet Mike Grell, uh, Christopher Priestley, who does Vengeance of Vampirella for Dynamite, um, Joe Saint Pierre, um, and a bunch of a bunch of indie guys. Yeah. Like, Lots of indie guys, you know, indie indie gaming uh, developers, uh, you know, free freelance illustrators. I knew a couple of them that were there already, uh, and have like stacks of work from them, like you know, commission stacks of work from when I, you know, every time I meet a new artist and I like their art, I'm like, sure, what can I buy from you today? I go, I need to switch out something hanging up on the wall. So I need a new piece. What do you got? Right. I got this Walking Dead stuff. I go, do you have anything comic book? I go, I know Walking Dead is a comic book. I go, but do you have anything over the top comic book? Not just lopping off a zombie head. You know, so I, I, you know, I do stuff like that. And and I get, I get to meet like a few, a few other people, but. I was there. Uh, I was only there for a couple, a few hours on Friday, but I was there from open to close on Saturday and Sunday. And I didn't, you know, outside of going to the men's room, I did not leave Artist Alley at all. Mm. And it, it it didn't hurt that over by, uh, and this was probably planned that there was a a beer a beer truck selling <laughs> adult beverages, like. 10 feet from the CGC tables. Yeah. You know, that's, that's so get them drunk. So they don't realize how much they're paying to have their book encapsulated in a piece of plastic. Got it. Got it. Right. You know. Right. So now the, the next big question is what is next for you in the comic book world? Well, I'm, uh, I got two things going on right now. Uh, one, I'm writing, uh, I'm writing a short story for uh, a possible anthology that SourcePoint Press is putting out um, uh, in the middle of actually writing that right now. And then I've got my second project on deck. It's just a matter of getting the green light on it. Uh, it's something else that means a lot to me. It's uh, um, Similar to Parallel in the fact that it's got uh, deep kind of universal themes wrapped in uh, a nice fanboy wrapper uh, of, of comic book tropedom. And it's a post-World War II small town Michigan um, uh, story. It takes place in 1946, right after all the troops come home. And uh, the protagonist is a 15-year-old girl who is very loosely based and inspired by my late grandmother um, and kind of... Um, uh, it, it, it's a superhero story, uh, enhanced strength and speed, um, but it's really, really about identity and race and gender and being comfortable in your own skin. 
um, and kind of dedicated, like I said, to my late grandmother, but also all the young ladies who have you know, come in and out of my classroom for the last 20 years who who still don't feel comfortable being who they are in a world that doesn't necessarily always accept them. And then extrapolate that times 10 going back to 1946. There's mm-hmm. a lot of actually family history in it because um, it, it, it takes place for the most part in this uh, in this real factory in Plymouth, Michigan that uh, got a war contract. It was a wire factory that got a war contract down the down the road from Willow Run where they're making bombers. Um, they made Marsden mats at this place called Wall Wire. And Marsden mats are, even if you don't recognize that name, we know if you're a, if you're a history nerd like me, you know what they are. They're the the fabricated long sheets of metal that are that are punctured that they use to create the um, fabricated runways in Europe and the Pacific, where you get a strip of land and you clear it, you can make a runway to have fighters and bombers take off and land from. And uh, it's actually one of only two factories in the United States that held on to their war contract after um, after uh, um, victory, you know, because the Berlin airlift is coming. There's this place in Alabama and this place in Plymouth where they kept that contract. And, and uh, all those Rosie Riveters got kicked out and sent home and all the troops came back and got their jobs back. And, and that's kind of the backdrop for this this story where there's this young girl who at 15 years old um, cannot reveal in a world where that would, uh, you know, definitely be a bit of identity crisis. um, The fact that she had uh, strength and speed that manifested when she was 12 years old and found out that her father died in the war and now is trying to earn enough money to keep their family afloat and going to work in this factory that her mother used to work in, her father used to work in. And, and actually in real life, this place is where my great grandfather worked during world war two. Um, I got to actually go like in, in the research, you know, we were talking before, uh, uh, before we started recording about all the research I did for parallel with, with doctors and psychologists and, and, and police officers. And some of the research I got to do with this was I actually got to go to the factory, got there, check this out a week before they tore it apart and, 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 uh, uh, turned it into individual office spaces, places. And I got to see like all the original wow. machinery and all the brickwork and all the woodwork and stuff like that. And took a lot of video and a lot of pictures. Um, so like uh, uh, issue one is already written. Uh, issue one through four are, are plotted and the, and, the, and the story beats are there and the research is done. And um, I just need to now start that process of like finding an artist and getting the green light from source point to, to give it a go. And uh, hopefully that's the next thing that I'm putting out into the world. Well, here's, here's something that kind of like ties, it doesn't tie in with it, but time wise, it, it does. Uh, my loft that I'm broadcasting from, which, yeah. you know, it's, it's tough to, you know, look behind me and say, you don't actually live there, do you? Yeah, I do. Uh, I just have a lot of stuff. Uh, and going through stuff, boxes of books. It's long comic boxes when you're in a motorized wheelchair. So uh, it's good once you get them in your arm and a little over your shoulder, and then you can control it with the other hand to move around. Uh, but this is a refurbished factory. Mm. Uh, it, it had... It opened up as a curtain factory in 1918. Oh, wow. And where I am, there is, uh, and I can't remember the word for it, but when two bodies of water, salt and fresh, mesh together. Yes, 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 yes. um, That's what's out here. So the bay comes in and merges with this river that comes around. And the boat used to come up like 
a hundred feet from where my front door is now. Okay. I used to pull up there and they would un they would unload the boat and and haul this stuff in on in on carts and you know whatever they had for pallet jacks back in 1918. Right, right, right. And uh there's uh they took it down because it was a there was a flood on the first floor last year, but somewhere they still have uh uh a uh historical painting of this place from from when it opened and what it looked like outside very cool and i i thought that i thought i like i'm into history yes and uh you know there seems to be a lot of history uh where i am you know living now well i live in new england so there's always a lot of history here you know from you know, the whole, you know, the Bunker Hill and, you know, right, all right, that right. stuff yeah. and, and Salem and, you know, not all of it is good history, but, you know, you got to take them, you got to take all of it, measure, you know, shove it all in like one big pot, stir it around and, and learn from the good and the bad. So, oh, for sure. One of my favorite parts of the country to visit for sure. Yep. I think it's the history everywhere you turn. Yeah. Uh, that in bars. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> especially in Boston. Yes. It's like, wow, see, we play hockey over here, but they play baseball over there. So we have to have ones within 100 walking feet. And you mean crawling feet? Well, that too. And I'm like, okay, it, you know, it works. I've, I've, taken, I've taken the team many times to, uh, to go watch my uh, – my uh, world championship Boston Bruins play and uh, mostly to watch live hockey fights, which they frown on nowadays. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, what do you think we're all here for? Okay. We want to see the team win, but we want to, we want to see a, a knockdown drag out hockey fight, you know, not necessarily a Terry O'Reilly running up the stands and beating up people that disagree with his team. But, and I, I got to meet him, which was awesome. So I've got a, I've got a picture of Terry O'Reilly from that game uh, before the game started. And then after the game finished and what a bloody pulp he was. Holy cow. So uh, it was, it was very interesting. I get to talk to him for like a half hour. Very but, cool. Uh, okay. Know, it's a. Uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun just just talking to people and 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 learning stuff and you know getting out and about. Yeah. So. Well, I I I appreciate I appreciate that too, and I'm I'm really happy that you would have me on to chat with me tonight. Oh sure. Uh, if there's anything I like doing is talking to more and more people that create yeah. comics. You never know. One day I might dive into the the deep end of the pool. Hopefully, there's still water in it. Correct, uh, and you know, because otherwise, oh, yeah, it's like no, been here, done that, don't do that. Uh, but I mean, I just love comics. I think it's, I think it's the best storytelling medium. Oh, I could not agree ever. more. I, I, I truly believe it's like it's the most malleable medium, 
right? Like it does, mm -hmm. it does so many of the things that film does well, and yet a bunch of things that film can't do. It does all, all a whole bunch of things that prose does really well, but a bunch of things that prose can't do. It's like this, this, this amalgam in the middle that just d creates magic. And then, and then indie comics themselves. Um, you know, without that editorial mandate, without that 80 years, you know, for whatever limitations it has in, in how much harder it is to get them out into the world and get them to a wide audience, you know, the advantages that like Marvel and DC have of having 80 years of infrastructure behind them are also things that limit them too in what stories they tell or what stories they're willing to tell. Mm -hmm. And there's no limits on, on indie comics. I mean, like this, <laughs> uh, you know, this book, gets produced in, in, in indie comics and not somewhere else. And so like, I'm really thankful for that and, and definitely really appreciative of, uh, of the opportunity and having it out there. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the book. Well, thank uh, you. More success, hopefully in the future. Cause I definitely, I'm, I'm definitely all in for uh, the, the book about the uh, factory in Plymouth. Yeah. You're, you already got me hooked with the his, historical aspect of that and and everything and and just just knowing that there's going to be you know as much as it might be entertaining there's also going to be a whole a whole lot of truth and uh, and history involved in it just for the fact of all the uh, of all the work on the back end that you you do when you research something sure. So. Well, I'd really, I'd, I'd appreciate it if anybody, anybody who's intrigued by the book at all, uh, come and see me on Instagram um, at Jay Douglas Writes, and uh, uh, you know, find out what cons I'm going to be at, or or order it from SourcePoint Press, and then uh, and then hit me up there. I anybody who buys a copy takes a picture of it, uh, them in the book, send it over my way, and I'll blast out in the world and send some love your way. But definitely come over. Um, to my Instagram account, so you can uh, at least, at the very minimum, join in on the the giveaway of that slab nine point eight of, of the book. Oh, for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna once I'm done with this, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on my phone and and go over and give you a follow. Cool. Because you know, it, it's fun like that. Uh, and uh, thanks once again. And everybody, head over and and follow Jason over on his Instagram at jdouglaswrites and. Uh, We'll go from there. We'll look. We'll look forward to this, and I'll be. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye out, and uh, you know, inquiring uh, with people I know over at the company. Hey, is that Jason Douglas book sold out yet? Yeah. Be like, oh, we're down to like forty copies. Cool. Oh, we're almost out. I go. I know. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thank you once again. Uh, follow him. Check out Parallel from Source Point Press. Get yourself a copy to get today. There's a couple of different covers you can get. And uh, look into that because those are the uh, the variant covers are very limited. Yeah. And uh, like he said, uh, it's close to being sold out. Only a couple of hundred copies left. So uh, go check it out today. Jason, it's been wonderful uh, getting to meet and talk with you. And we hope to do it again uh very soon with another project thank you sir i truly appreciate the time this was fun thank you and we'll see you next time on creators outlet but not today three three's my limit